0: Semiconductor giant Qualcomm wins a long-running battle with the FTC. Is this the IP verdict of the century? What does this mean to the future of IP licensing? This is Stuff You Should Know About IP. Tom, why don't you kick it off? Give us an overview of this case between Qualcomm and the FTC. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, this is a pretty complicated case, but... Let me simplify it. The battle, the battle you talked about between Qualcomm and the FTC, to me, is really the battle between patent law and the Sherman Act. And here's what I mean. So patent law, if you get a U.S. Let's start with, we're in the U.S., right? We have a U.S. court case. So let's talk about the U.S. Although this is pretty much the same everywhere. But if you have a patent, you have the right to exclude others from making, using, selling, or offering to sell your patented technology, right? So that's a law, the patent law, okay? There's also something called the Sherman Act. Now the Sherman Act, I'm just gonna read here. The Sherman Act prohibits, number one, anti-competitive agreements, and two, unilateral conduct that monopolizes or attempts to monopolize the relevant market. Mm -hmm. So you could see the clash here is yeah, it's between the FTC and and uh, Qualcomm, but it's really between patent law and the Sherman Act because ever since I've been a patent lawyer, and I, I became a patent lawyer in like 1994, I've always wondered about this, and people are always tiptoeing around it. Like you might remember, Ray, that recently we did a trade, we did a custom video for a client. I won't mention the client, mm-hmm. but I put in the script. It's so you know we're just trying to talk about a patent, and I put in the script. It's sort of like a monopoly, and they edited my script. The chief patent counsel or senior patent counsel at this company edited my script and called it a legal monopoly. Okay, so the Sherman Act is all about preventing monopolies, and patent law is all about having monopolies. Right. So that's where the real fight is. Fight is because when you think about this case, actually, let's talk about. What happened in the case first? Yeah, that's this, this is a
0: really broad implication. So, yeah.
1: yeah so, we,
0: we could do a whole podcast just on this topic.
1: Oh, yeah. So, the FTC in January of 2017 sues um, Qualcomm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and because Qualcomm, so what is Qualcomm? Qualcomm is this big, great company, and they do basically two different business models one is they make chips. They call them uh baseband processors, right They make chips for uh smartphones and they they sell their chips, but they also are a technology licensing company, okay right. in fact, their tagline is inventing tech the world loves so they're That's all about it's a pretty cool tagline right oh. so they're all about you know. Yeah, they make money from, they make revenues, gross revenues from their chips. That's where they make most of their gross revenues. But 60% of their profits, their profits come from mm-hmm. licensing, okay? and when That's I a lot. Yeah, because think about it. Licensing, you're essentially selling air. If you want to sell whatever, whatever your product is, chips, for example, you have to make your chips. You have to distribute your chips. You have to have all the materials for your chips. You have costs associated with your chips. Right. Licensing has high profit margins because once you invent it and get your patents, you're selling air, right? Right. And if you, you know, if you can, when you're doing this editing of this podcast, you should put up the list of all the Qualcomm license, licensees. I went on their website. It's in, it's astounding how many licensees they have for their technology. So they're making a lot of money from licensing. So what they're doing, though, is they're licensing something, their technology that is what you call standard essential technology. Hmm. And what I mean is this. So there's these things called standards, right? In, In every industry, people get together and they make a standard so that everyone can build to the standard. It makes it way more efficient. And somebody explained it to me best years ago, which is outlets. You know, when you have to plug your plug in to an outlet, there's a two-pronger and a three-pronger in the United States, right?
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: go to other countries and you need an adapter because there's the, the plugs don't fit. Because, and by the way, I'm not going to get into why because right, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. why, okay? Yeah. But my point is just to get your head around it, if everybody made different outlets, You know, different plugs, you wouldn't be able to, you're standardizing on something that this way everybody can build to that. So everyone knows that you just have to build to this and it'll fit. It'll plug in. So they have these industry standards committees, which, by the way, in the telecommunications industry, guess who's on the committee? Qualcomm, Qualcomm. right? (laughs) And what they want to do, I mean, it's like a dream. If you can put your patented technology into a standard, that means... Everybody needs your patented technology right. to make their products consistent with the standard. Right. It seems kind of unfair, though, doesn't it? It seems. It, yeah, like,
0: it seems a bit like um, a conflict of interest is what I would use to describe. Well, it. not
1: only having Qualcomm on the standards committee, and by the way, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it just seems like having your patented technology in a standard is a bit of a problem because. Now everyone gets to license from you. So, right. so, there's a solution to that, and it's called FRAND, F R A N D, and that uh-huh. means friend, FRAND, yeah, not friend, because you're talking about a um, a system so that you can make it fair for people to license from you. So let's say that Qualcomm has a standard essential patent, okay. Right. So everybody has to license from them in order to meet the standards, right? In order to manufacture to the standards. So they have this FRAND thing, which is fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. Okay. Okay? So, so you're supposed to license in a fair way if you have standards essential patented technology, right? Right. So the FTC, that makes sense. Yeah. So the FTC comes along and they say essentially, oh, yeah, one more thing. Qualcomm has this, this quote, or I mean this like catchphrase, which is no license, no chips. Okay? Oh, okay. If you don't license from us, you cannot buy our chips. Interesting. So what they're doing is they go to a company like Apple and they say, not only do you have to buy our chips, but you have to get a license to our patented technology to use our chips in your product, Right. So they're getting these huge numbers. They're getting both product revenues and they're getting chip or licensing revenues. So the FTC says, this is not fair. You know, you're, 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 you're restricting competition. Cause number one, you're supposed to be doing this FRAND thing, right? Yeah. But you're not even licensing to all your competitors. So you're telling some competitors they can't have your technology. And secondly, you're licensing at, at exorbitant rates. Like, Apparently, they were in a deal with Apple where they were telling Apple they had to pay them not only a license on the chip, but a license on the revenues from the entire smartphone. So they're calling these exorbitant rates. So so basically, they're saying you're committing your anti-competitive stuff. You're doing anti-competitive stuff. So there's we have the conflict. We have the patent law against the Sherman Act. And isn't it a monopoly? I mean, Ray, you're kind of getting good at this now. Doesn't it sound like a monopoly if you have a patent? By definition, isn't it a monopoly? Uh, uh,
0: to have a patent, I, I suppose. I mean, uh, I guess it depends on how broad the potential uses of that patent are within an industry, right? I mean.
1: But however broad they are, I mean, if I can prevent you from doing it,
0: yeah, well, it's certainly a monopoly over that particular process. I mean, that's the whole point,
1: right? See, that's it, that's the whole point. That's where you have the conflict between the Sherman Act and patent law. And right. you know, maybe ultimately that has to be reconciled. But so anyway, in this case, so it goes to the FTC, there's a 10 day trial in the uh, district court. Interestingly, it's in the Northern District of California. Hmm. You might remember exactly. our podcast that we did yesterday was with uh, Anthony Lewandowski, was it Lewandowski, I think? Lewandowski, yep. yeah. Anthony Lewandowski. Google who and Google. In the Google situation, and it's in the Northern District of California. Now, right. Judge Lucy Koh is the judge on the Qualcomm case, was not the judge on the Lewandowski case. But anyway, so let's just go to Lucy Koh for a minute. So Lucy Koh is this Korean American woman who is the second, korean-american federal court judge of all time okay and she is a really bright lady but so when when i before i started reading the case i'm thinking i should read about lucy Coe because does she even know anything about patent law you know because judges get to the district court the federal district court by appointment they are appointed by the president and then they are excuse me confirmed by the senate There's, and there's all kinds of cases in the district court, right? I mean, there's, it is a wide range of stuff you have to be good at. And most of them aren't good at intellectual property because it's a very specialized area, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's complicated. And I mean, so now you have to be good at both antitrust and intellectual property. So I went and looked up Lucy Code to see if she was good at these things. She goes to Harvard for her undergrad. Which by the way I just learned today that it's called Harvard College, not Harvard University. Apparently the graduate programs are Harvard University. Oh. But anyway, she gets her undergraduate degree at Harvard in social studies. Okay? So I'm immediately thinking she doesn't know anything about IP.
0: (laughs) Then she goes to science.
1: Right. Then she goes to law school. And she's, you know, a law degree, which is not science. I mean, keep in mind, to be a patent lawyer, to have a registration number, you need to have a science degree. You must have a science degree. He doesn't. So I'm thinking, okay, she doesn't know anything about intellectual property law. But then I noticed that she worked for a law firm called McDermott, Well & Emery, which is a really good law firm in the U.S. And she, at McDermott, Well & Emery, on her Wikipedia page, one of the things that's highlighted is, She did patents and trade secret and other commercial litigation. Mm, If you spend time litigating patents and trade secrets, you understand a lot about patents and trade secrets, even if you're not a science person. Now, technically,
0: this is a a side note, but you don't have to be past the patent bar
1: in order to litigate patents, only to prosecute them. Exactly right. You're right. In order to be a patent lawyer, to have a registration number to practice before the in the US, it's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. You yeah. need to have a science degree, then you have to practice, then you have to pass the bar. In fact, you could do that without even having a law degree. You could just have a science degree, and then you're called a patent agent instead of a patent lawyer, which means that you also have a science degree, the patent bar, and you have a law degree and a state bar. Got it. So then you're a patent lawyer, right? Okay. So she is a pretty bright woman. So you know, so she comes back and she says she agrees with the FTC that this is a violation of the Sherman Act and it's anti-competitive. Which, of course, it is anti-competitive. I mean, What's it's a the point. It's a patent, right? <laughs> right. Of course, it's anti-competitive. That's the whole point of patents. Right. So she's so, so That's why it's a sticky line. It's a, it's a delicate line that you have to walk down. Right. It's a patent, so it's anti-competitive by definition but it's not anti-competitive enough to be a violation of the Sherman Act. She She says it is. Is a patent – just just
0: restate – I know this is obvious to a lot of our audience, but just restate what a patent does for us because –
1: A patent gives you the right – it doesn't give you the right to make anything or use anything or sell anything. It gives you the right to prevent others from making, using, and selling patented features. So imagine you have a widget – and there's a really – let's – a chair. Let's use a chair, right? Right. You have a chair patent somehow. Let's just say that somehow you have a chair patent. And you get the patent on the chair with the footrest, okay? For the life of the patent, no one can make, use, or sell. Your competitors cannot sell. They cannot make and sell right chairs that have footrests. That's that, anti-competitive, right? Yeah, that's
0: the whole point of the patent is to prevent right. your competitors – from, from making and selling. competing with
1: you. Right, you're competing. competing with you, yeah. It's, to competition, competition. it's anti-competitive, right? Yeah. So, so she was true, right true. In, in that verdict, yeah, I mean, technically. Well, well, no, I'm not saying she's right in the verdict. What I'm saying is she's right that patents and Qualcomm, with their patents, are anti-competitive. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I'm reading this thing. Exactly. Unilateral conduct that monopolizes or attempts to monopolize the relevant market. That's a patent. Right. But it's legal because it's a patent. So she says it's it's a violation of the Sherman Act. And what she's saying is, Qualcomm, you have to renegotiate your licensing agreements with your customers, okay? Um, you have to license your patents to your rival chip makers. And you cannot sign these exclusive deals. Like, For example, Qualcomm had a deal with Apple, which was you cannot get your chips from any other chip makers. So you have to buy from us. So that creates us. You know, we were just talking the other day, Ray, with uh, one of our clients about the problem with having your suppliers get patents. You're a customer. You're sometimes co-developing with the supplier, right? Because you want to create something just for you. And they get a patent on it. And you're like, whoa, whoa. We don't want that. Why? Because now... We can't go to another supplier to beat your price. It becomes like right. a single source situation. You can't get into a second or third or fourth-source situation. For sucks, yeah. So what they're saying to Apple is, and by the way, just before this trial starts, Apple and Qualcomm had been in a huge battle over royalties, right? So that just settles, and they agree to a long-term deal with Qualcomm. And this hits. Judge Coe um, – oh, also – says that they can't charge a royalty based upon the gross sale of the smartphone. Okay. So if there, if you have a little piece of the smartphone, so let's say the smartphone costs $10 and your little piece is valued at like, I don't know, a dollar of that. You can get royalties on the dollar. They're getting royalties on the $10 and judge co saying, that's not cool. You can't do that. So um, anyway, that happens and the stock price for Qualcomm goes down. Why does it go down? Because you got two problems. Number one, you're opening up competition, right? Because you got these 5G networks now and you need chips. So you're opening up competition for other players in the space. And also you're losing a bunch of, or potentially losing a bunch of licensing revenue. Now, again, 60% of the Qualcomm profits are based upon licensing revenues. So that's going to really hurt the company, right? I mean, that destroys yeah, their yeah, money, right? You cut so, that
0: in half, and there's thirty percent of their
1: you know revenue. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. I'm not exactly sure on the math on that, but it yeah. really hurts them. I what mean, even even that, if right? you
0: if you take their 10 percent of their sixty percent, that's a huge amount of money for for a company that it's size that has a lot of it's overhead.
1: A lot of it's overhead. a huge amount of money. So so it destroys their stock for a while. But here's the thing about lawsuits, and that is, remember, the district court, the federal district court is just the lowest court. There's three layers in the federal court system. And there's also, by the way, three layers in the state system. But we're not in the state system. Even though it's in the state of California, it's in the federal court system. And just to let you know what that means, there's a federal court system with three layers, which is the district court. That's like the entry. When you start a trial, the district court has original jurisdiction, That means you go there first. Then you go to the circuit court. That's like the appeals court. That's the court of appeals for the federal Mm. system, right? Yeah. Then you go to the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, that's where you have the nine justices. Well, you know, well, we typically have nine justices. Right, right. And they are the ultimate court of the land, right? And in the state system, you have the same kind of thing. You have a a trial court, which is, you know, depending upon what the state is, they could call it something different. Weirdly, in New York State, our trial court is called the Supreme Court, and then our appellate court is called the Appellate Division, and then our Supreme Court is called the New York State Court of Appeals, which is kind of weird. But anyway, oh, that weird. But it's three layers, so you have the trial court, you have the appeals court, then you have the Supreme Court, the big court. And in the district court here in the Northern District of California, Judge Co decides in favor of the FTC against Qualcomm, stock strop, everybody goes crazy. And then Qualcomm appeals. And oh, by the way, let me say this. A commissioner at the FTC before this even started publicly stated that the FTC is wrong on the law. Okay? One of the commissioners of the FTC. Also, interestingly, <laughs> also interestingly, the Justice Department. The Justice Department also pursues and enforces, you know, enforces the Sherman Act and pursues violators. The, the Justice Department, right? Right. They provided testimony in support of Qualcomm at the Ninth Circuit in the appeal. So clearly, you've got a bunch of people that are smart that are differing on this. And why do you think they're differing? Because it's complicated. Yeah,
0: it sounds it's exactly what I was thinking. It's
1: By definition, there is a fight between patent law and the Sherman Act, at least in my opinion. Who right. knows? Maybe one of our millions of users will come back and say, Tom, you're absolutely wrong. There's no conflict between patent law and the Sherman Act, but you have- yeah. Hopefully people. they don't
0: come to our doors with pitchforks and torches.
1: Yeah, right, right. So you have you have bright people at the FTC fighting over this. You have the Justice Department providing testimony for Qualcomm against the FTC, right? When they're the ones yeah. enforcing the Sherman Act. You have Judge Coe, who's this brilliant lawyer who went to Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law School, and worked for the prestigious firm of McDermott, Will & Emery, and she's saying it's a violation. Then you go up to the Ninth Circuit, and you have more bright judges. Actually, it's a panel of three, I think, there. And they're saying it's not a violation. They reverse Judge Coe's decision, and stock prices go up. The people at Qualcomm are having parties and drinking, and you know the the industry gets shaken again, you know, Yeah. right? So this is some complicated stuff because the underlying foundation for this is confusing: patent law versus the Sherman Act. That's the real battle here, in my opinion.
0: So I'm just I'm it's so it's fascinating because it's it's one of these rare instances in life where uh, a legal battle of epic proportions uh, has these really broad potentially long-term consequences for a whole field of really ideas because that's what these ideas concepts laws are about the way that we conduct business in our civilization you know it's i know that sounds very like you know almost like stoner talk but it's like it's it seriously is a really big deal so what do you think in the context of Qualcomm, or I'm sorry in the uh, what do you think that Qualcomm means in the larger context of, of licensing? I mean, do you think that <laughs> I know this is like a big question um, to, to answer, but I mean, do you think that this is going to go to the Supreme Court and one way or the other, what happens to IP law? Like what could happen? Could this fundamentally change? Yeah, so how patents are used in business?
1: Yeah, that is a that is a great question. Um, so you have basically the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, right? Mm. So it's, it might go up. I don't know if it'll go up. And I was just reading some commentaries about that on whether they'll appeal to the Supreme Court. And here's the thing. Will the Supreme Court even take it? I think if you ask me, well, okay, so let me go back. The U.S. Supreme Court does not have to take all their appeals. In fact, they take very few. There are thousands of appeals to the Supreme Court. I think they take like 80 or something a year, right? Right. So they don't have to take it. And most cases don't go up. You hear about some really exciting cases, but most of the cases are, you know, not as popular and you don't even hear about them. But there's still only like 80 or so that are taken each year at the Supreme Court. They'd probably take this. This is a big case. Mm-hmm. You know and and you know what I wanted to get to before is when people think of the law they think it's black and white and it's unquestionably not black and white because you even look at the US Supreme Court in the early 70s there was a popular case called Roe versus Wade okay mm-hmm. Roe versus Wade from my recollection essentially says that states cannot pass laws that prevent women from getting abortions okay that was not a majority. That was seven to two. Two people who are so bright that they get to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, by the way, you've got to be really bright to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, these people are thoroughly vetted, right? Two of them were against Roe v. Wade. Seven of them were in favor. Nine really, really bright people who are experts in the Constitution, who, know, who have, by the way, I think they have like three brilliant law clerks each to work with them, and they come up with a different decision. Cases can change. There was this big case in 2013 in the, um, in the U.S. Supreme Court, which, uh, let me just see, what was the name of this case? Um, let me see. Hold on one moment. Bear with me. Okay. Alice Corp versus CLS Bank International. It's the Alice case. This changed patent law. It severely restricted the opportunity to get software patents and business method patents after a 1998 case of State Street Bank. Yeah, I remember we talked about this. Right? Not at the time, but... (laughs) Right, right. But I'm only mentioning this because the decision in that case was by Clarence Thomas, I think. And it was some for, some against. That changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. And a case like this, if it goes up to the Supreme Court, could change everything for patent law because again, patents are anti-competitive. The Sherman Act is anti-anti-competitive stuff. Right, right. It's like this is a fight that needs to happen at some point. Right. To reconcile this, and maybe this is the case to do it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I, I I even remember too yesterday after our conversation with Todd Bailey um, regarding the um, the trade secret case that we talked about, um, which. By the time this comes out, you'll have already seen that episode. Um, but uh, but um, we were talking about uh, uh, artificial intelligence and how there are some in that community that are sort of anti-intellectual property. Everything should just be open source. The, and it was in the context of the question, you know, what, what, who owns the intellectual property rights if an artificial source of intelligence creates a, a form... Um, Right. right. Great, tough, right?
1: Great, a patentable invention. And Todd responded, that's actually popular, but it's boring. The bigger question is in this industry, everybody thinks everything should be free and, you know. And, I right.
0: And so right. I, I do you feel like this case, I know we're really hypothesizing now, but if it were to go to the Supreme Court, that the public debate around it would center, would be sort of whether or not Intellectual property should exist. I mean, should we be able to own ideas? I think we're probably biased about
1: that. <laughs> well, well <laughs> but, listen, keep in mind first of all, you can't own ideas. You have to have something that you, know, you can right. actually. Right, well, that's the perception. Can't. Right, right, agreed. But here's the thing to keep in mind the other side of this is most people, most companies would never invest millions and millions and millions of dollars or euros or. Yuan, or whatever it is, they wouldn't invest if they didn't know that they could get a patent at the end of the road. And here's why. Let's say that Tom and Ray both want to be in the widget market. And I invest 10 million US dollars in developing this phenomenal widget. And just as I'm ready to go to market, Ray, you see it in the marketplace, and you start copying me. Okay? Yeah. You have not invested 10 million dollars which means that you could spend $10 million in marketing and hiring a great sales team. And you're know you you're 10 million ahead of me before I even get the chance to start getting a return on my investment. Why would I ever invest $10 million in something if I know that you can copy me as soon as I get it? Yeah, I, I, it makes
0: perfect sense. It's hard to imagine what the alternative would be. Right,
1: yes. That's the hard part is, what, what's the alternative? You know? And you know, maybe one thing is this. Here's one thing that, that could be realistic, and that is, you can't patent things that are technology that's essential to a standard. You know? You know, the, let, let me just, it just popped into my head a good example. If you have trademarks, so trademark law has basically five categories of trademark significance. Uh, fanciful, which is like a totally made up name, totally um, unique, right? The other is arbitrary, which is, it's not unique. I mean, it's not made up, but it's totally arbitrary to the product, like Apple for computers. Right. Apple has nothing to do with computers. The next, the next uh, category is called suggestive. And we're getting weaker and weaker. The trademark, uh, inherent distinctiveness of these trademarks is getting weaker. Right. Suggestive is the next one, right? That means it doesn't describe your thing, but it suggests it, right? right. And, um, you know, you could have What's that? Like Roach Motel. Roach Motel. Yeah, that, that, that's on the line between suggestive and descriptive, right? right? Roach Motel. And basically the way I distinguish um, suggestive and descriptive is, does it take a number of questions to guess what it is you do? I mean, if you could tell right away what they do, it's probably descriptive and you can't get right. a trademark. But then the sixth area, which is you cannot get a trademark, is called generic, okay? And here's the problem. You could have a fanciful trademark, but it's so powerful that people start to use it as a verb or as a noun in your industry, and people are always fighting against this. Some good examples are um, cellophane or a insulator or uh, a zipper or all these that used to be peanut butter. Right. These used to be powerful trademarks. They became so powerful, they came, became generic. So you lost your rights by winning so much, Okay. Now right. let's bring that over to patents and standards. You've done such a great job. You've built phenomenal technology. It's becoming the standard. But now, because it's the standard, it's no longer fair that you should be able to block the industry. Right. Because it's a standard. Everybody can use it. Right. So kind of like because your mark is so powerful that people are using it in comp they're using it in discussions. It's hard to even right. Describe the industry without using that mark, you've lost your power in your mark. Yeah, I
0: could understand like if there in that case, like in Qualcomm's case, what seems fair, and of course you I don't know, maybe I should write a letter to Judge Co., Uh, what seems fair is that Qualcomm would get royalties for a certain period of time, and but unless they're fundamentally changing this technology as a result of further innovation, you can't you can't corner it forever you can't corner the market on it forever
1: you can't though remember patents only live for 20 years from the date of filing right so so there is a limitation and also let's not forget there is this friend issue: fair reasonable and non-discriminatory licensing associated with uh, i think you're muted ray yeah Uh, so okay i associated with uh licensing standard essential technology So maybe that's good enough and maybe you just have to make sure that people stick with it. But the other side of it is um, maybe you shouldn't be able to charge royalties if your technology is so important to a standard that no one can be consistent with the standard without it.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting and it's complicated. And, um, I, it's so hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard to like come down on either side of it. Yeah, yeah. I will. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what's going to what happen next. Yeah, what
1: yeah, the Supreme it, Court does. It would be. Ever it, get it. Who
0: knows, yeah, it'll be highly. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be sitting on the edge of our seats. We'll be popping popcorn. Uh, we'll put on our 3D glasses and. We'll, Except you can't. Uh, they don't. They don't rec- uh, videotape in the Supreme Court. Right.
1: We'll, they'll make a movie about it. Maybe. right Yeah. Now. Hey.
0: Maybe that's what. Maybe that'll be our next IP movie.
1: There you go. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You can. You can play one of the judges. Okay. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be a clerk. I'll be oh, a lowly
1: clerk. I'll be the bald judge because there's always a bald judge, right?
0: <laughs> well, there has to be. Yeah. 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 It's more. It gives you a more distinguished judge like.
1: Uh, yeah. Let's go uh, with that let's go let's go with that the only benefit of losing your hair let's go with that all right
0: well i hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation about qualcomm um, and this battle with the ftc the future of ip of patent licensing um if you enjoyed this please hit the share button that's the most important thing spread the word about intellectual property thanks everyone